welcome to the Wi-Fi Nomads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Smith, sharing with you how to successfully start working remotely while traveling the world. If you're ready to break free of the nine to five grind and achieve more freedom and fulfillment in life, be sure to apply to one of our upcoming Wi-Fi Nomads programs in Bali, Indonesia. It's an immersive professional development training program showing you step-by-step how to start earning an income remotely so you can work from anywhere in the world. Spots are limited, so be sure to apply soon. You don't want to miss out. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome everybody to the Wi-Fi Nomads podcast. I'm your host, Kate Smith. Today's guest has traveled first class and business class, probably more than many of us could ever dream of and has paid less than we could imagine. He's a frequent flyer expert using points to travel in comfort without all of the cost. He's a content producer at the frequent flyer blog called Point Hacks. Um, where he, of course, works remotely. He's originally from Australia. He spent 14 months traveling the world while working remotely. And thanks to winning the green card lottery, he's now spending time in Austin, Texas. That being said, I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest today, Matt Moffitt. Matt, welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you, Kate. I'm so excited to be here and to chat points and travel and planes, because I really like talking about those things. I am very excited. I, we, were mention, we were talking about this earlier and I was mentioning how I first came across you and I remember always seeing your Insta stories and you're flying in comfort in these like first class and business class and always mentioning how you got these like great deals on these incredible flights and I always found it fascinating. This is a topic that I, as I said to you before earlier on, I don't know a lot about this. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that aren't familiar with how you can leverage points to get these incredible deals. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about this. Um, that being said, before we dive into all the point stuff, I'd love to, to learn a bit more about you and your story um, of how you went from, you know, I know you were in Australia and I think you were working as a server before you got into all this Correct. and then you got into this whole point hack thing. Like how does, how does that happen? How do you go from a server to traveling the world and working remotely? I know. Wow. Rags to riches. Um, <laughs> not really, not really though. Server as well for yeah. Many. Well, I think it's an ex- important experience for people it to is. have in terms of honing their customer service skills. Um, so I am originally from um, about an hour and a half outside of Sydney. Um, that's where I grew up. I went to college in Australia. I sound like an American now. I went to university. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I did a one year study abroad in Guadalajara, Mexico and learned Spanish there. Um, and that I traveled before that, but that was kind of my first solo adventure. And that was at, uh, I think I turned 21 when I was over there. So that was that as well. No, I said I lived in Guadalajara with a local family and I went to university there for, um, a summer for six weeks to study. How long ago? Uh, it was a long time ago. It was university. Uh, I think my third or fourth year. Universidad Panamericana. Oh, uh, okay. I was at Tech de Monterrey. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Very- anyway, sorry. Side yeah. note, but that's cool. Yeah. So then, um, so then I went back to Australia. I graduated. Um, and then I spent six years bouncing between Madrid and, and Sydney um, teaching. Teaching English in Madrid. Teaching English and Spanish in Sydney. Um, and then... And I was traveling for probably uh, four months a year for most of my 20s. I'm 31 now. Um, And then in 2014, I was on a six-month trip. Uh, I was in San Francisco working at a hostel um, for board because I was starting to run out of money. Mm -hmm. And in Mexico, five years earlier, one of the other exchange students had mentioned the diversity visa lottery, commonly known as the, as the green card lottery for the US. And this is a program where 50,000 uh, places or 50,000 permanent residency visas are balloted out um, to certain countries of the world to encourage a diverse range of nationalities to immigrate to the US. Canada is not one of them, I am sorry, because there are already a lot of Canadians here. China is excluded, Mexico is excluded, the UK is excluded, Australia is included. Okay. So I applied for this 
lottery every year and I missed out the first four years and I won in my fifth year. I won one of the 50,000 places out of over 13 million people, which is half the population of Texas or half the population of Australia to give you. Wow. So I, I, I mean, my heart like stopped and I found that out when I was in San Francisco. So, um, so then I was thinking, well, I have this connection to San Francisco and I really um, identify with a lot of the, 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 the attributes of this city, but it's way too expensive. And I mean, look what's happened to San Francisco since or the Bay Area in general. So I was looking for somewhere that had the similar attributes to the San Francisco, but that was warmer and cheaper. And so that's why I came to Austin, Texas. And Austin, Texas is not a perfect city. Uh, sorry, yeah, and, and Texas definitely isn't a perfect state in my mind. But I'm very happy here. I've been here for three years. First year I worked as a server. We'll get into how I got, in, got into the points in a sec. Um, I worked for the points blog for two years. Um, and then I took that on the road, as you said, for 14 months. And I've just gotten back. Um, and now I'm living again in Austin. I, I got back three weeks ago because... We might get into this later in the podcast, but I got, I was exhausted. I was exhausted from being on the road. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should definitely talk about that. And it's funny too, because with your social media, you've kind of quit some aspects of social media as well. Yeah. Yes. And I'm so much happier. It's been two months. I haven't been on Instagram and I feel like I was at, it's South by Southwest at the moment, the festival tech tech film music festival it's all one thing so all the hipsters are in are in austin at the moment which which is great which is which is good for culture and good for the economy and i was at a party last night and uh, they were playing 90s r&b and hip-hop and it was very cool and there was a bubble machine like a smoke and bubble machine it was very cool i was just loving that only the gays only the gays were different (laughs) but then once the bubbles came out all of these influencers or wannabe influencers all literally barged us out of the way to take selfies and the boomerangs and the videos of them in these bubbles. And I thought, this is so sad. And I know that this is judgy to say this, but this is so sad that we've, that these people are infringing on our enjoyment of this and documenting their experience, which is not a real experience if you're just documenting it rather than actually. Yeah. So that I, I feel like I'm standing on a bit of a moral high ground at the moment and, and that's not a great thing to do, but I guess it's just indicative of how my frame of mind has changed over the past couple of months. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I'm off Instagram. I think Facebook is very useful for events and sharing things. With yeah. That's really interesting because I just interviewed another speaker earlier today and he's also off of social media. So it's interesting because both of you work remotely. He's been, he still travels the world and both of you, like neither of you are on social media. And I had a girl ask me recently, if I want to work online, do I need to always be on social media in order to do so? Um, And I think it's interesting because we we pursue this lifestyle of working online and traveling to have that freedom. And in a way, social media takes that away from us when we're mm. focused on capturing the moment than being in the moment. Yeah. Um, but it may it- be more important for people that are building their own personal brand. And for me, I work for a blog that I do not own. I am a content producer for someone else that pays me. So my personal brand is not that important. I don't really care about it too much, but for you, your personal brand is really important. Girl, you need to be on social media. You know what I mean? So then the challenge for you, you don't have the luxury of being able to go, Hey, I'm just disconnecting. Yeah. Cause you'll lose business. So for you, it's more, how do I make this a healthy engagement? I don't have the answer to that because I'm not an expert in that area. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So, you've shared a bit of a background. So then how did you get into um, getting into this company you're with now, Point Hacks, right? Yeah. Chapter two. Yeah. Chapter (laughs) two. How did you get started with that? Well, um, so the first year I worked as a server when I came here because I thought I want a flexible schedule and I want to be able to make friends. Um, And then um, one of my, my best friend from Australia who moved to San Francisco, he actually won the green card lottery as well, which is so crazy. And he forwarded me the job um, ad for a, a casual contributor to Point Hacks, which, as you said, is okay. a frequent flyer blog in Australia. We also have a smaller sister site in New Zealand. Um, 
so I saw this and the founder of the website of, of Point Hacks was, was looking to expand the team. Um, and I'd always been intensely interested in planes from when I was young. I love aviation. I don't necessarily love the actual flying bit of it. Same. But I love the planning and routes and geography. So I kind of really like being on the ground. And I know that sounds strange for someone that does get to enjoy the privilege of flying towards the pointy end of the plane, especially on long flights, because that's mm-hmm. what I save my points for. But I, um, I really enjoy helping other people um, book their travel. Anyway, so he sent me this ad. I applied to be a casual contributor. I got four hours a week. It, generally, it gradually increased to a full-time load. Um, then I, about halfway through my now three years there, I um, got promoted to managing editor or we created that, that role because most of the points blogs are small, except for the points guy, which is just like a huge commercial operation um, with everything that comes with that. Um, And where was I going with that? I forgot. So kind of how we're diving into chapter two, how you got started. So your friend kind of had this, this hookup and you did a bit of. Oh yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, then I moved into a managing editor role and I didn't really like it because I don't think I'm very good at managing people, especially remotely. I have like no experience or training in that. Yeah. And I don't like editing. I don't like editing other people's work. I love producing my own work. So yeah. I've only switched back to my original job as of two months ago and I'm so much happier. Anyway, so it's, it's been a journey and, and yeah. um, I've really, you know what? I, I wasn't a points expert when I, when I joined this space. I, I was a plain expert. And, and there's a lot of people out there that are really good at finding hacks with, with cash with yeah. cheap stuff, with flying Air Asia. I mean, you've spent time in Asia. Um, with, um, yeah, but the point, the point side of thing is a whole nother world. And it's yeah. so complicated. And it provokes so much anxiety in people because yeah. points, the frequent flyer programs are supposed to be complex because the airlines do not want you to use your points. Or they do not want you to use your points for the highest value redemptions, which are business and first class flights. So they make it difficult. They make the information transparent. That's where the blogs come into play, including ours, for an Australian audience. Uh, And there's so many in different countries. Because what we do is we uh, digest that information and the rules and we say, hey, these are the credit cards you should probably get. Yeah. And these are the ways that you can use those points for maximum value. And often they're not the ways that the frequent flyer programs are promoting themselves. So when we're looking at the different ways here, and I'm super beginner. So you're talking about you become, you get like a credit card or whatnot and you get points. Are you also talking about the sense of um, joining a popular like airline, the rewards program and getting points that way as well they overlap okay yeah so so the best points for you to have are the ones that are with the banks because they're what we call excuse me flexible points currencies okay so examples of that may be american express membership rewards which are in lots of different countries including the u.s canada australia the uk um chase ultimate rewards points in the u.s city rewards points in many different countries as well the value of those flexible points is that you have transfer partners or frequent flyer program transfer partners. That means that you can convert those banks points into a number of different airlines. Okay. The thing about this space is that each program constantly devalues uh, their award charts, which is how much each flight or each, each route or each class costs. Okay. United does it every year or so. Singapore Airlines does it every year or so. Delta does it. They change the price of, of, of the redemptions. Okay. In, in often an, the opposite of a transparent way. Yeah. So if you're, key, if you're earning your points in a currency that uh, allows you to put your eggs in lots of different baskets rather than just having them with Southwest, for example, or yeah. just having them with Air France, 
then you're diversifying the risk of that devaluation. Frequent okay. flyer points are one of the, um, the depreciation of, it, it's one of the most depreciating assets that you can hold. So okay. people kind of come up to me and they go, I've got 200,000 chase points. And I go, that's wonderful. When are you going to use them? Because if you're not using them, then they're going to use lose value. Also, you could do die tomorrow. So let's, 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 let's employ a YOLO approach to this because, because you've got to, you've got to use them. And so we, we call that strategy earn and burn. You earn the points and then you burn them and then you'll earn some more and then you burn yeah. them again. I love that. And before we dive into a lot of my questions I have for you, <laughs> what, what should beginners know? Like what's, What's the basis of how this works? I think what you've shared already is very insightful. And I like the idea of not trying to over collect it, but rather use it. So what is the best way, I guess, to get started? And I have a, I have a ton of questions. Let's start with getting started. What's okay. the best way for somebody like me who has zero knowledge to yeah. dive into something like this? Depending on the country or countries that you're based in, yeah. look at the major airlines there and just go onto their websites and join those frequent flyer programs. Okay. That's number one. So okay. if you're in Canada, join Air Canada Aeroplan. Uh, I don't know if WestJet has their own. Yeah. Uh, yes. and, oh, they do. Okay. I should probably know that. <laughs> um, but I don't work in the can Canadian space. Um, and then the other major ones that you may find in other countries as well. So that would be number one. Frequent flyer programs are free to join, except the Qantas frequent flyer program isn't. It costs about $100 a year, but you just type in free Qantas membership or frequent flyer membership, and you can find a code to get that for free. But they shouldn't cost anything. Then, um, then I would say when you take your next flight, after you book that ticket, go to wheretocredit.com which where is an amazing credit. tool. Uh-huh. Where the credit.com. And this fantastic developer, I forgot what his name is. You put in your route. Um, so you're going say from Montreal to Geneva mm -hmm. and you're flying on Swiss airlines. And um, this is the, the fair class code or it's basically like the, the ticket that you've booked and it will show you a comparison yeah. of all of the different programs that you can credit that flight to because they'll credit it different at different rates. So with Swiss's own program, it may credit, um, I don't know, 5,000 miles. And yeah. with um, United, it may only credit 2,500. So you'll go, oh, I should probably credit to Swiss. However, however, yeah, there's three big airline alliances in the world. There's Star Alliance, Sky Team, and One World. Most people yeah. would have heard of at least one of them. Yeah. I would suggest that you choose one program from each alliance and focus on that because a really important thing to learn about points when you're earning, especially when you're redeeming them, is mm -hmm. that you can do it with all of those different partners within that alliance. So if you have United Mileage Plus miles, you can use them with, I think there's 27 member airlines. In it, within that alliance. So you can use your United miles for travel on Copa, which is based out of Panama. You can use them uh, with South African Airways. You can use them with Air India as well. Yeah. Um, so I would say choose one program from each alliance. And anytime you fly any, take any flight with, with any airline within that alliance, um, stack them together because a, current, a, a, a common thing that I hear, and I used to do this as well, is that you have these, like you'll fly Lufthansa once, so you'll sign up for the Lufthansa program. And mm -hmm. then you'll fly Singapore Airlines once and you'll sign up for the Chris Flyer program. And then you just have these points scattered anywhere, everywhere. And you're like, what? I don't even have enough to to redeem an award. Like this is, I have like 1000 miles and the minimum's like 12,000. So how am I ever going to get there? So of course I'm going to cash out my points for cash back or for gift cards or for merchandise, mm. which then the points bloggers get on, on, on to you. And they say, well, that's like terrible value. And it is terrible value, yeah. but our job is to, to give you the tools to kind of, uh, I, I guess, like amalgamate or consolidate those points so you can actually save up for a proper redemption. Okay. And then when you're looking at, 
you know, there's the, the frequent flyer programs and then there's like the credit cards where you're earning points Mm. with the credit card ones. And I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm bouncing too much between one and the other, but do you find with them, and I know it works different in different countries. I think the best ones are probably in America. Definitely. With those ones, is it where it's there's a lot of incentive to initially sign up and get points yeah. that way? Or do you have to spend a lot in order to get it? Like, does then does it become worth it? You know what I mean? Both of those things. You need okay. to spend a lot within the first three months of getting the credit card. Okay. In our world, out out of every 10 frequent flyer points, six of them come from credit cards. Okay. That's how people um, build up balances in the first place. It's not even about boosting balances. Like you won't flying economy, especially like sale fares. You don't, most people aren't paying full fare economy. They're looking for the discount, discount fares. You're not going to build up enough points to redeem even for another economy class flight. Yeah. So they, you, you, you see people on, on Instagram, people like myself on social media that are like taking all these first class flights everywhere and enjoying like a complimentary limousine service to the airport. And then, you know, dedicated first class check-in, then you go to the lounge and then you're the first person on the plane or you're the last person on the plane. Yeah. If you want to be like, you get to choose. There's people that have showers on planes. Like the, this, the only way that you're going to get there if you're not like a heavy business class traveler that your company is paying a lot of money for is that you have to sign up for credit cards. Okay. Um, and, um, usually if not always, yeah, a credit card company will say, if you sign up for this offer, we'll give you X number of points. Let's say 50,000 points. If you Mm -hmm. spend $3,000 within the first three months. Okay. So what I do is I have 17 credit cards. Okay. And I do. Yeah, I know that you liked the term earn and burn. So you can also call with credit cards churn and burn. Okay. So this is where you're churning credit cards. Of course, this is just my personal advice. This is not the advice of the blog. Yeah. But if you're rotating through different credit cards for the sign-up bonuses, some of them you only have to make one purchase. I got an American Airlines card last year and I got 60,000 miles for one, just making one purchase. And then I got a different American Airlines card after that and I had to spend $4,000 within the first three months. So that's quite a high minimum spend requirement. So yeah. that means I had 130,000 AA miles, American Airlines miles. What can you use them on? Well, I just booked a $14,000 flight, 15-hour flight in Etihad first, not first class, first apartment from Abu Dhabi to JFK. This is going to be in October on my way back from a little jaunt in Jordan. Um, I'll get picked up from my hotel in Abu Dhabi in a limousine, go to this, go to the the airport and go into the lounge and then I'll get on board this aircraft and I will have a private suite with a closed door, a separate seat and a bed. I get to eat whenever I want. That's called dine on demand. There's a butler on board who will come and discuss the menu with you. Um, And this air, this is one of only two airlines in the world. The other one's uh, Emirates. Uh, which has a, a shower and I'll get a f- five minutes of hot shower. Each, each passenger, each of the nine passengers in first class gets five minute hot shower. So then before I land in New York, I would have had a hot shower and be and a really restful sleep and like been eating all of these Arab, Arabic food del- delicacies. And I booked that $14,000 flight with 115,000 of those miles that I just mentioned. I got a, so I've got 15,000 left over plus 101 US dollars in taxes. So my out of pocket cost for that flight was $100 instead of 14,000 with cash. And this is so doable. It's so doable. You just have to have the right credit card strategy. By the way, that's how the points blogs make their money. We make our money through credit card commissions. We get these comments on our posts that say, oh my God, you never stop going on about credit cards. It's like, well, how are we supposed, how do you expect us to just be giving you this 
information for charity. I mean, this is, this is the, how the world works. Yeah. So you get this helpful information and in return for that, we're giving you some information which has some bias behind it, of course, because we've got affiliate links with these banks, but we're trying to give you a pretty good analysis and say, hey, this is a really good sign-up bonus. This is a really good sign-up bonus. This is a really good sign-up bonus. For every, of, every one of those points blogs, you can look up, like they'll have a section for best credit card sign-up bonuses or offers, offers right now. They're yeah. the ones you go for. Okay, so with the credit cards then, what you mentioned before is it that you're signing up for these credit cards and then after you redeem the points, you're canceling them or how does that work? So um, it, it would be great if you're using the points, like that's number one, as I said, earn and burn, but um, always keep a credit card open for the, the whole of the first year because um, often you'll get a credit card, uh, the, the first year annual fee will be waived as kind of an incentive for you to sign up. Um, a lot of them you have to pay the first year annual fee anyway or or for any years that you have it so if you've paid for the first, for the year then you shouldn't you shouldn't ever cancel within the first 12 months it'll hurt your credit score that's what a lot of people are worried about they're like if i just keep churning through these credit cards what's going to happen so you got to do it in a sustainable way and i don't necessarily want to get into that area of credit card advice because i'm not a financial expert yeah Okay. Um, some people go gangbusters with it. I mean, I go gangbusters with it because I have 17 credit cards, but that's because I work in the space. That's not normal. Yeah. That's not normal. Okay. Five or below is good. So could somebody get the rewards that you're, you're getting, like an average person, you're deep into it. Would the average person with you know basic knowledge with five credit cards be able to still get great deals or do you really have to be deep into it to get these kind of deals that's such a great question no they don't uh, no they don't have to be i'm nothing exceptional okay people think i'm rich (laughs) but i just travel like a rich person it's a little bit of a i like to think of it as a i was about to say peter pan as a robin hood situation yeah, That's how <laughs> yeah. I it. I um, so other people can do that. Um, what I do with my credit cards is most people, what they'll do is they'll, they'll each credit card will have like a, a, a category. They'll have different categories for spend that will offer them bonus points. So for example, the Chase Sapphire Reserve card in the US has triple points on travel and dining. Most millennials like will already know that because they've targeted that card heavily towards millennials. Actually, it has the highest retention rate of any credit card in the US um, market, not over 90%. That means that people keep paying the $450 annual fee each year because they understand the value proposition of that card. If someone's wow. going to start out, if you're a traveler, if you're a, a, a budding digital nomad, or if you already are and you're based in the US and you have a social security number, uh, this is my personal advice, not as the blog. Um, the credit card, uh, the Chase Sapphire Reserve is probably the best to start with. By far, I, by far. I think I hear a lot about this from yeah. American friends. Yeah. Yeah. And There's the thing no is, fees on when you're international, when you're making... Yeah, with most, with most US credit cards, there's no okay. Tra- okay. transaction fees, at least the ones that are like travel focused. Okay. Yeah. And so what makes that one so great? Well, the, the ongoing value proposition of that, of putting, um, dining and travel spend on that. So travel includes like for everything from flights, accommodation to like renting one of the scooters that have jumped up in so many different cities to Airbnb and even public transport. And then dining includes bars as well. And we know how much people like to drink in today's society. So, (laughs) so that's like the dining bit of it. So you can like, and then those points are Chase Ultimate Rewards points, which can be transferred to, I don't know, like around 10 different programs. Um, so there's that. You also get like a $300 travel credit each year. So as you spend everyone, I mean, everyone that's listening to this podcast will spend at least $300 you know, in like a month, um, maybe, or a couple of months. So they'll reimburse that. So that brings like the annual fee down to $150. But then on top of that, um, if you can look out for credit cards that have a priority pass lounge membership card attached to it, that's a really, really good hack. So uh, priority pass is the largest independent lounge network in the world. What I mean by independent is it's not linked to any airline. 
So you okay. can be flying any airline in any class. You can be flying like Spirit <laughs> at the back of the plane. And, um, and if you have a credit card that, that gives you a priority pass card, which is also a separate card and, and there's an app, which yeah. you'll get a digital membership card, then you can get into like a huge array of, of lounges around the world, regardless of who you're flying with or where you're flying. Um, and, and are those lounges going to offer spa treatments and, um, and a la carte dining? Probably not. But um, you can go onto the Priority Pass Apple website and kind of check them out before you're embarking on that trip. And you can use those lounges when you're transiting as well. So say you're flying from Bangkok to Europe through Dubai, then there'll be a number of different lounges in Dubai that you can choose from. So you're like, well, which one's the best? So then you would go to the Lounge Buddy app um, or website, which has just been bought by American Express because it's such a great. Uh, okay. company. Um, and that's like the Yelp of lounges. Okay. It'll and show so you, this, it's sorry. right. It'll show you how you can get in and what amenities they have. And then people leave reviews, read the reviews. They'll say like, this is a disappointing lounge or like, this is the best United club that I've been to, or the Wi-Fi isn't very good here. And then you can make a decision and kind of plan out your, your stay. Cause I mean, who wants to like, who wants to go and sit in an airport terminal? Like that's not fun. Flying yeah. is not fun. I think yeah. I was about to say flying isn't fun anymore. Well, I, I never grew up in the golden age of travel. You didn't either. Millennials no. didn't where everyone got dressed up. I mean, everyone's wearing like, like um, sweatpants and like Ugg boots and stuff just to try to make this more comfortable. Cause it's such a stressful, com- uncomfortable experience yeah. and the seats yeah. are narrower and closer together. And then you're seeing these people on social media that are like bragging about flying on a, in a lie flat seat and stuff. And you're like, how can I do that? This is so unfair. Well, you can, you can. And you know, one of the first steps is listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And <laughs> When you going back a bit with the priority pass, so the priority pass is just a, a thing on its own. Do you pay for that? Like, what is what's the deal with this priority pass? Is it linked to a card? Yeah, to certain credit cards. To yeah, more cards. premium credit cards, more premium, more expensive credit cards is what I mean by that. Okay. You can buy okay. a priority pass. There's different levels of membership that they okay. sell. I don't know, like two hundred and fifty dollars a year or something. But then okay. you have to pay every time you go into a lounge. Just okay. get it through a credit card. Okay. Look for credit cards that offer priority pass access. Obviously, okay. credit cards are a country specific, very country specific. So you want to be looking at credit cards that yeah. are, are in a country where you're eligible to get the credit card. Okay. Yeah. And is this easy information to find when you're, is there like a resource you would suggest? Is this um, that would let you know what credit cards does, I guess your site, does your site yeah. outline that for you? Yeah, yeah, we do. Like if you go onto the Point Hacks website okay. or if you type in Point Hacks um, priority pass guide <laughs> or into okay. Google, then you'll find that. That's for an Australian audience. Um, okay. If you're in, uh, let me do a shout out of like the best points blogs in the world um, yeah. for different countries. So for the US, which is by far the most lucrative credit card market because Americans love debt. <laughs> and because regulation i don't even know i'm laughing that's not good uh, i think it's kind of funny and sad at the same time um and there's very lax regulation on corporations in the in this country let's not get into the politics of that okay, but yeah. um that can work in the favor of someone that wants to like max out their credit cards for, for rewards not necessarily yeah. for like getting into into problems with finance finances that's the this is the number one thing that the points guy always says he says don't get a credit card if you're going to have don't get a credit card for the purposes of earning rewards if you're going to pay interest on it you have to pay in full all the time set up automatic payments because the interest will will um, take away all the value of the points that you're getting yeah. Don't do it for that reason. You gotta have your chickens in. What do you say that chickens in a Eggs row? In a row? Ducks in a row. Ducks in a row. Uh, there you go. I, <laughs> I eat a plant-based diet, so I don't know anything about animals anymore. Um, so I would suggest if you're in the U.S., one mile at a time. One mile at a time is probably one of the most reputable points blogs out there. They're so on point with their information. Um, 
pretty easy to understand once you get to a bit more of an advanced level, then they've got that material as well. But if you, if you're a little bit confused by the content on that site, then an another one, if you're in the US to follow is Million Mile Secrets. That's based out of Texas. Okay. Super easy to understand. It's aimed at a beginners and intermediate audience. If you're in Canada, the only one I know of is PointsWise, pointswise.ca. Um, if you're in the UK, I know the Points Guy is launching there very, very soon. Um, Head for Points. Head for Points is the um, preeminent blog there. Um, if you're in Singapore, Mile Lion, fantastic resource. And in Australia, Point Hacks. Mm -hmm. And in, the, awesome. in New Zealand, Point Hacks as well. Awesome. I'm going to list these in the show notes. That's amazing. Love. And so you've mentioned all these really great resources. So I have two questions for you. One, what would be the resources that people should be looking at for this information? And two, what would be your almost step-by-step -step guide for beginners? So, you know, step one, get the certain credit cards. Um, step two, make sure you, like you mentioned, um, where to credit.com, like when, at what point you should be going to that site. And then in the next stage, what you should be doing and where you should be looking at that point, kind of like the, the flow and the process of how to approach all this. Yeah. Good one. Now, this is so long ago that I actually did that. Right. So it's sometimes it's a little bit hard to go back in your mind. I'm going to answer your second question first. Okay. Um, so, well, everyone's buying flights all the time. So you're purchasing the flights and then where to credit. Perfect. That's a really good way to start. Um, as I said before, join those frequent flyer programs. Um, okay. In terms of credit cards, go to one of the sites that I just mentioned um, and figure out which they've got such great advice on it. The thing to understand is it's normal to worry about this. It's normal to have anxiety around it because it's really scary. Credit cards are scary because you can get into trouble. Everyone feels that at the start. The thing about this world is if you want to um, max your awards, then you have to invest the time in building up the knowledge. And that's what the points blogs help, help you do. Um, the official information from the frequent flyer by programs themselves is masked in marketing. And I don't think it really helps too much. Yeah. Um, so you'll grab a credit card you'll you'll meet that minimum spend within the first three months or so. Um, you'll, those points will land in your account probably within eight weeks after that. And while you're doing that, while you're working towards that spend target, I would be typing in, it's much easier, this bit is much easier than people think. Type in best uses of whatever that points currency is. So if you're earning Southwest Rapid Rewards points, then you'll type in best use into Google, best uses of Southwest Rapid Rewards points, or you do it with aeroplane miles, or you'll do it with chase points, or you'll do it with Amex points. Um, because then that'll link to all the different blogs. You'll get lots of different information from different points of view, which is fabulous. I encourage lots of different points blogs to exist because no one can cover everything. And there's lots mm -hmm. of different ways to um, approach the hacks and f to yeah. find hacks and value. Um, and then you go, okay, that's my points goal. I want to fly Etihad first apartment from Abu Dhabi to JFK for 115,000 AA miles. I know what the taxes are going to cost. Um, and then I'm going to go, okay, how do I book that? So then I'm going to look up how to book Etihad first apartment using AA miles. There might already be a link to that guide, that separate guide within the first guide that you're looking at the best uses. Okay. And then you'll go, okay, do I need to call up the airline or the frequent flyer program to do so? Because sometimes you need to call up or can I do that online? How do I find award availability? So an award flight is different to a, a flight that you purchase with cash. An award flight, there's only a certain number of seats on each plane that are allocated to people that want to use points for them. Often that number, usually that number will be the highest, as in they'll be the best availability, especially for premium cabins. And by premium cabins, I mean first business and premium economy. That will be the highest out about a year before departure. 
I'd say 11 to 12 months before departure, especially on really popular routes. Really popular routes are the longest ones. They're the ones where you don't want to be stuck in the back of the plane. So I'm thinking Australia. I'm thinking New Zealand, if you're flying from North America. Really difficult to find premium cabin availability on nonstop flights across the Pacific because so many people want them. Okay. So if you can book out, book a year in advance, 11 to 12 months, you'll be one of the first to secure those seats. Actually, I'm going back to Australia in about nine months for Christmas. And I'm already, look, I was just before this podcast recording, I was looking at availability to fly from San Francisco to Melbourne because I kind of want to lock that in before anyone else does. I'm already behind the, I'm behind the ball with that because I should have done that in January or February, not in March. Okay. Um, and also I'll just finish off there that um, often availability can increase a week before departure as well because they're trying to fill, fill seats that haven't been sold with cash. So they might as well have people use points on them. Okay. And that brings up a good point then. So with all these, I love that point. (laughs) Brings up a good point. Um, With all of these, you know, it sounds really great. And you just mentioned the downside is you should probably book a year out. Is there anything else that people should consider in the sense of, okay, you can get these amazing points and fly, but is there a lot of flexibility in, in, in other senses? So you're saying, you know, across the world, there's not a lot of flexibility. If you're doing shorter flights as a nomad, if you're going from country to country, do you have more flexibility or do you really kind of have to operate in the sense of, you know, what they're offering and kind of take it like that? You know what I mean? Ah, yeah, I do, I, I do understand that. Points are really great for digital nomads because they offer a lot of flexibility. Um, Often we tend to travel like last minute as digital nomads. Points oh, yeah. are great for that because yeah. generally the pricing of a seat using points won't change, won't change as, as, you, as you lead up to departure. Amazing. But we know that if you're in Bali and you want to fly to Taipei in three days, then you're probably going to pay a lot more for that flight than if you had have booked it three months before. Okay. Okay. So points are really great. And we couple that with the fact that often, as I said, availability does open up a few days before departure because they're trying to get rid of those seats or fill those seats. Okay. This is really good for highly mobile people like us. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Also, you know how we've all been in that situation where we've booked a uh, really cheap Norwegian air flight from New York to Paris for 250 euros. And then for some reason or another, we need to change that flight. And they're like, that's going to cost $700. And you're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I might as well buy a different flight. Yes. <laughs> With um, points, as long as there is availability on that, that later date, then you'll be paying a, what we call a change fee of, I don't know, somewhere, but depending on the program, probably somewhere between 25 and 175 US dollars. Okay. Or if you just want to cancel that ticket um, and get those miles refunded or the points refunded, then you can probably pay around the same fee. And I change my flights all the time. So for that, Eddie had the flight that I mentioned before that I'm taking in October. I had a flight um, using AA miles, the same currency, uh, yeah. booked on Qatar Airways, which is a competitor. But then I was like, no, I, I saw availability open up on that flight where I'm going to be flying in what they call an apartment and have that shower. And I'm like, oh, this sounds better. Like YOLO, I might yeah. as well pay the extra. So I called them up and I said, I want to, oh, I did it online. I just canceled the other ticket. It cost me 125 bucks or 150. Uh, I got the miles back and then I used them for another ticket. It's okay. Super great flexibility. As long as you're okay to wear that change fee, yeah. which I think is reasonable for people that, I mean, our target audience usually does have reasonable cash flow. Yeah. Um, Points are great. Points are great for flexibility. Amazing. And then, so how, how long does it take to, so someone that's starting out getting into all of this, how long does it take to reap the rewards? Is it almost as though if you're just starting, you're going to have to wait like three months or so. And then is it, is it consistent? Like, you know, 
and I know it depends where you're flying, if you're doing across the world or how many credit cards you have. I'm just wondering how good a value this is in the sense of, oh, does that just mean one flight a year or are you flying like very frequently on these amazing flights for cheap? Ah, uh, that's a hard question. A good one, but a hard one. You answered yeah. it. It really does depend on the, okay. on the route. I, let, let me give you an example. So say you sign up for uh, one of those, uh, like a Chase credit card in the US and you get like a 50,000 point sign up bonus. Like that's very, that's very average, very doable. So you'll spend three months trying to reach that minimum spend, you might be able to reach that minimum spend quite quickly, depending on what your business, oh, sorry, not business, but depending on what your personal and potentially business expenses are, you'll get those points. Um, like you'll be able to use them within the year or within six months, surely. Um, and, and what can you use for 50,000 points? Well, that will almost get you to Europe one way in business class, which would usually cost $2,000 maybe if you bought it with okay. cash. Okay. So you can do it with definitely within a year, if not six months, depending on where you're going. I know that's a frustrating okay. disclaimer to add. No, that makes sense. And so for the beginners, such as myself, yeah. um, you've given a lot of great tips of what to do. What are the biggest mistakes that people make when they get into this? Um, joining too many programs. Okay. Being scared of credit cards in the first place. Okay. Um, not reading the points blogs. Okay. Not looking for that help. Okay. We try to make it more understandable. Often what I say to people, because it's an anxious space, because people get anxious around it, they ask me for advice and they often get quite defensive because they, they want to tell you that they've already learned stuff, but you never stop learning with this. So I would say be really open to information that you're, that you're reading. Okay. Often people are quite resistant to that and that can be a bit frustrating for us. Does the industry and the space change frequently or is there just more all the time? Okay. So all you have the time. It's off. such a fast moving space. I mean, look what's happened in the past week with Boeing 737 max, yeah. you know, after the crash last, last year or the year before and it, with Lion Air and, and then yeah. this in Kenya with Ethiopian airlines, like they've grounded across the world, all of those planes. Yeah. This stuff changes all the time. They switch wow. out aircraft um, which have vastly different products in business yeah. and first class in economy. It's just a crappy seat <laughs> that doesn't yeah. change that often. Yeah. Um, airlines go bankrupt. I would predict yeah. that potentially Norwegian will go bankrupt in the next couple of years. Okay. It's too cheap to fly with them. Um, don't hold me to that. Um, so yeah, things change all the time. The main thing that affects frequent flyers or points enthusiasts is, um, those award chart devaluations. That's where the points okay. come in really handy because they'll kind of analyze all these different numbers and tables. And you're like, I'm a normal person with a full-time job. I don't have, I don't understand this. I don't really want to understand this, but I know that there's value in it. So this, think of this as just like outsourcing, like the, the, the effort a little bit and just absorbing that, that digested information back. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like if you really truly want to get the the value of all of these offers, you do have to take the time to to understand it, do the research. There's not really this quick shortcut. However, it seems as though it is well worth it if you invest the time. That's super accurate. There is a half shortcut in there. Okay. Not on the earn side of things. Earning, okay. you kind of have to do your research and that, that's not that hard. Most people will know through word of mouth or through reading things or getting targeted YouTube ads. You're like, I should probably get this card or this combination of cards. Okay. Then you get your points. Then people that are really time poor or for different reasons can't or don't want to invest the time in building up yeah. their knowledge themselves. What they can do is a lot, not all, our, our blog doesn't have this service, but a lot of the points blogs behind the, the actual page will have a points booking service or, or an award booking service. So what you can do is you can contact them and say like, hey, 
I've got 200,000 city rewards points. I want to fly first class to Japan for the Olympics next year. Um, I want to take my partner. These are the dates. Um, I don't really want to deal with having to book all this stuff because I, I don't have the information. I don't have the tools at hand and I'm not interested. And you'll pay somewhere between $100 and $300 per person that you're going to book. Uh, okay. depending on the complexity of like the brief that you give them. Um, and they'll do all the work for you. There's multiple different consultants working for each of these award booking services. And then they'll come back to you and they say, Hey, I found award space flying out of Chicago to Tokyo on this date with A and a first class. This is what you can expect from the product. Or maybe you can look up a review of that product. Do you want to book it? And if you want to book it, you better book it soon because th those seats will go away. And you've just outsourced all of that time and effort to someone else that is a complete expert in it and really enjoys doing that. Yeah. Um, so I would suggest them. So a couple of, um, you can use uh, Flight Fox, okay. um, which is a Melbourne-based company. You can use that around the world. And they are also really good at doing, this is not an affiliate link. I'm not getting a kickback for this. I don't even know anyone that works there. Um, but they can also help you with like complex cash fares. Like okay. I want to fly around the world to different places. They can help you with that. Okay. Um, and they have a sliding scale depending on the complexity of that itinerary. And then okay. like Points Pros is one in the US that's connected to some blog, I think one mile at a time. So if you really want to outsource it and if you're happy to pay the money, especially for a big international trip in business or first class, then that might be a really good avenue to go down. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. The information you've given so far is extremely valuable. Um, very insightful. Is there anything, again, I don't know what I don't know around this topic. Is there anything that we haven't covered that would be worthwhile for people to know and understand? If you're flying in a premium cabin, it's nice to do that with another person to share that experience. That's and that's really something that I lack. I don't, most people don't have the same flexibility that I have or are going the same way or the, on the same route. And I miss being able to share that experience with someone else. Um, yeah, you're going to add something. No, I was just going to say that is very spot on. I feel like even this nomadic life, this digital nomad life, being able to live it is really great. But when you don't have, um, whether it's like the community or whatever it may be to share these experiences with, it, it's not really that exciting. You're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's another this or another that. Mm. But when you get to share these experiences with other people, um, that's where I find my most memorable memories it's the people that make that moment right not mm -hmm. the exact thing or the place it's always the people so it's a very mm -hmm. interesting point that you mentioned that yeah and and if you can use your points if you have enough points and i've gotten to this stage over the past year or so where i have more points than i than i need for my personal travels gifting them to other people not as, as in booking the trips for them because just gifting them the points they probably won't understand the value of it and i don't expect yeah. them to but like yeah. my mom turned 60 last year and so i sent her and my dad to to japan um she hadn't been there for 40 years for, from when she studied there for a year after high school. And I sent them there on their first business class flight that I, they'd ever taken. Um, I'm not saying this is like, wow, what an amazing son he is. But I was thinking like, I can either use these points on myself, which I, I, I use points now more for the, like the comfort rather than the, the joy. It doesn't really spark that much joy in me anymore. Cause each, each of these luxury experiences that you have, Mm -hmm. has a um the marginal benefit of each experience goes down and you become accustomed to these like these perks and then when you're flying at the back of the plane you're like oh my god how did i ever do this i was just gonna ask you i imagine it would be very very difficult to go from an experience where you have a shower on a plane to being in an average economy seat. On yeah, a like poor me. That is a first world problem, absolutely, because yeah. we're really lucky to be able to get on a plane anywhere. Um, yeah. However, like um, I, I took 50 flights last year, so that's like one, one a week on average. 75% yeah. um, of them were in economy. Okay. 
and the and and I had took three first class flights, and the rest were I can't do the math. My dad's a math teacher; he's going to kill me. But the rest were business class flights. So, I but if I did it by hours, all all of my long international flights were all. That's what I save up my points. If I could leave anyone with this advice, it would with a piece of advice, it would be this. It would be save your points for business and first class travel, preferably international. And just use cash for economy. Don't use your points for economy. It provides really bad value. Also, if you use your points for, for gift cards and buying like a Nutribullet, I'll slap you in the face. <laughs> because <laughs> that's, not, that's not the best use of points. Having said that, I had some points that were expiring with Turkish Airlines last month and I bought a knife, a knife through there because I, I could find no other use for them. It wasn't easy to redeem them. So I bought this quite good knife that I'm very happy with. So, you know, getting some value out of them is better than getting no value out of them. And, and those, you know, each person owns their own points and they can do whatever they like with them. Also, this is a bit different to the audience that's targeted for this podcast, but if there are any families out there or if there are any uh, large groups kind of thing, you might be involved in like a community organization and you pull your points together or you have enough points to, to, um, to buy flights for other people, then you, it's a bit unrealistic to think that you're going to fly eight people in first class to Dubai. So using those points for economy is totally okay for you to do that because you're getting yeah. some kind of value out of those points. And it's different for every person's circumstance, yeah. but for the target audience of this podcast, yeah. which is probably mainly millennials, um, like use those points for a luxurious experience that you yeah. can't afford to buy with cash. I can't afford yeah. a $14,000 flight, but I can afford a hundred dollars in taxes and like investing the time in a smart um, credit card strategy in order to get those points in the first place. And then I can yeah. pretend that I'm rich. <laughs> and that's, that's like the ultimate. <laughs> and I think it's important for people to understand, especially if they're aspiring nomads, is that the way we talk about this, I know we speak about it in a very privileged type of way, like you were saying. However, as you mentioned at the beginning, how you hate the act of actually flying and traveling. And I'm the exact same way. I love to go to new countries, absolutely love it, love to experience different cultures. The one thing I still, to this day, after four years working online and traveling, still despise the act of sitting on a plane for 15 hours to go from Canada to Bali. It just, mm. it never gets more enjoyable. And I think the only thing that can make that more comfortable is, is upgrading. And I think for digital nomads, you are traveling a lot. And for the everyday person listening to this, there might not be much value because they're not traveling frequently, but as mm. a nomad, you're already traveling a lot. So understanding how the points work, I think is very valuable because it's very relevant to the lifestyle. It's something that we're going to need, especially again, with those long haul flights. Um, they're just, it's very uncomfortable, like straight up. And it can, a an uncomfortable flight can really kind of throw you off for days, especially when you're trying to bounce right back into work. Absolutely. Um, you just cross time zones and this and that, and you can't sleep, like getting a good sleep on a flight is important when you're expected to be back on the clock as soon as you touch ground in another country in another time zone. Um, so I think, I guess, for people listening, understanding that, you know, this isn't necessarily for the average person. This is for people who are traveling a lot and can get value from how do you make the most of that and making the most of your points. Absolutely. And for, and for people like us and people that are listening, the best value from those points, my mantra is kind of like, um, flying is a stressful experience like period, anything that you can do to reduce that stress and increase your comfort is a good thing. Yeah. And you deserve to do that. You're worthy of being, of being able to do that. Do you deserve that more than someone else that's flying? I can't make that, that claim yeah. or that judgment, but um, anything that you can do to enter a lounge <laughs> to reduce the amount of uh, money that you're outlaying on flights, which is often yeah. quite a lot for us, anything that you can do to, increase your productivity on the plane that might be connecting to Wi-Fi or being in a seat where no one's sitting next to you, you know, like a, a business class seat where you're next to the aisle. So then you can just get up and go wherever you want. You yeah. can get in some pajamas. You can eat when you want. You can have a sleep. You're just treated. You just want to be treated special. 
when you're, especially when you're spending so much time in that tube hurtling yeah. through, through the air um, with up to 500 other people, you want to be treated a little bit more, more special. That's where points unlock utility. Um, yeah. For me, it's not about the bragging rights. Yeah. The vast majority of flights that I put on my social media sorry, that I take, I don't put on social media because people get sick of it. They get jealous. Also, I don't care that much. I just want to arrive to see the destination or to spend time with my friends and family and yeah. be refreshed and, and happy and healthy. And I think yeah. that, that if you can hack the system to fly towards the pointy end of the plane rather than having to slum it yeah. um, towards the back, then you're like, I, I, I think that you just feel so much more grateful after that. Yeah. And I think that that's the greatest gift. And I have a question that just came up. What is the most, you, I was going to ask you what was the best experience you've had, but you shared that at the beginning. It seems like that was an incredible experience. What, I've never flown first class or business class. What's the like, do you have any stories of first class experience? Anything weird or funny or someone in particular that you saw? Like, is there anything? What goes on? Tell other people what goes on in what first class. What goes on behind, behind closed doors? Yeah, what's behind the curtain? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never seen a celebrity. I've never flown with a celebrity. They usually go private. Um, not that I've ever been on a private plane. Um, what goes on? I, I guess nothing like crazy. I, well, something crazy that's happened in economy class is I got vomited on once on takeoff, um, leaving Mexico City. That was just after I'd broken up with my boyfriend as well. That was super wonderful. Uh, it, so I'm glad that I don't, that hasn't happened since. Um, first class, I mean, I'm not doing this for a shameless plug for our blog, but I actually yeah. just wrote a, a, a guide that I'm proud of and that's really useful for people yeah. to have kind of an insight into what it's actually like. Um, look up um, 24 things, 24 things to expect from a first class flight. Uh, that's on pointhacks.com.au. And okay. it goes through and you can like, depending on the lounge, you can schedule a spa appointment so you can get a facial or a massage before you get on the plane. Then, you know, you're usually greeted by name and, um, you have like mattress pads and you eat delicious food. I don't drink alcohol, but obviously there's like the best selection of beer, wine and spirit. Yeah. And people are at your beck and call. And so I guess to answer that question, I'd say like, look up like best first class reviews, best first class products reviews or something like that. Okay. Emirates is great. Cathay Pacific is great. Lufthansa is great. Um, cause they're not all created equal. And then you'll, I think the pictures speak volumes for what you can expect. The pictures are the most exciting thing I show people. I showed people, some of my friends yesterday, I said, I'm, I'm this is the flight I'm going to take to New York later in the year. And they were like, does that exist? Does that exist on a plane? And I'm like, yes, it does exist. And I'm going to be in it. And I'm really grateful for that. This is going to be super, super yeah. cool. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty, I mean, if you can have a shower on board, like that's out of this world. Yeah. It Especially when it's like a, a 15 hour, I mean, for me to go back from Canada and Bali all the time, it's a good from door to door. I'm looking at like two days of travel. Probably it's, I have a solid 15 hour flight, another five hour having a shower, like two days you're on a flight door yeah, to door. Can you imagine? is the most would be the most glorious thing so but something yeah. that's very achievable for you is if you get a credit card that allows priority pass access then regardless of who you're flying with and if you're flying in economy which is very probable then at least your your one or two stops that you're taking to go between bali and canada um a lot, if not most lounges have showers. So at least you're getting yeah. one on the ground. If you're transiting through Vancouver or Bangkok or Hong Kong or an air airport like that, then at least that kind of breaks it up. Again, that's just reducing some of the stress and yeah. increasing comfort. And that's a really yeah. good thing. That's a win. Amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much. This has been so helpful. You've shared so many resources. I'm going to link to everything below in the show notes. Um, how can everyone stay in touch with you? I know you're not on social media. Um, well, the majority of it, what is the best place for people to find you and get in touch if they want, or just consume your content? 
Um, no one's asked me that question in a little bit. And I guess it has changed because I would have said Instagram before Facebook. I'm pretty private on. So not social media. I don't, I've never posted anything on Twitter. Um, so I write for point hacks and I put my energy into easily digestible information that people can, um, use and take advantage of for their personal travel goals. So you'll see my name on some of the articles on point hacks. Um, I guess like, if people really want to hear more of my voice, I'm starting a podcast and it's probably going to launch around the same time this one does. It's not a competitor to it. And that's going to be called tripping with friends. Um, so that'll probably have a Facebook page or you may just be able to find it in like Spotify or Stitcher or, um, Apple podcasts or whatever. So check out tripping with friends. I'm going to be talking about travel, but from a very unique angle. So I mean, we're very excited. Maybe do you want to share that angle briefly? Because I think yes. it's really interesting. Yeah. So I haven't heard anyone do this yet. Um, and it'd be really great if someone is already doing it. Um, but I am going to be in, doing 20, 25 minute interviews with uh, friends that are interesting or people that I've met that are interesting, including you, Kate, um, who have a... I'm going to be talking to them about how their identity, however they identify, that could be gender, nationality, uh, sexuality, personality type, socioeconomic status, the experiences they've had in life, how that affects the way they travel, where they travel, how often they can travel, how are they treated when they're on the road? Um, Because I have a lot of questions about, I know where gay males for example, tend to travel, but I have no idea where lesbians travel because I am not a lesbian. And because (laughs) I haven't asked those, those questions to a lesbian before. I'm very interested to hear how the experience of what it's like to travel as a, as a person of color, for example, because that's very different to what we experience. So that's what I'm excited to have, to have those conversations, not to share my knowledge, but to allow other people to share allow them a platform to talk about themselves. Yeah, I I absolutely love that. And I'm really excited for this. And I think it's going to be very important for other people to listen in on this because, for example, in Canada, we have so many rights. And when we travel, those rights are different. Like even women's rights are different in different countries. And I have to be mindful of that, of what I can do and what I can't do. I've changed the way I dress based on countries I go to just because of that. And we don't always understand the perspective from somebody else. Like some people hold passports that make it very difficult. And there's a lot of, it, 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 there's a lot of differences depending on where you go. And I think it's important for us as a society and a whole to understand what other people, what those, you know, some of the challenges may be, but also how the lens that they're looking at the world through and how they, how they view their travel experience and where they feel they can safely travel and where they feel they can't. And just, just having that awareness, I think is really important. And I think that's almost the basis of, of traveling is to gain a better understanding of not only us, but the world beyond us. And I think that this podcast would be a great look into that. So I'm really excited for that to come out. Thanks. Yeah. I'm excited for that because we live in a bit of a, a bit, we live in a very privileged bubble. Yes, absolutely. And we tend to mix with people that are pretty similar to us. And I feel a lot of guilt about that. I feel like I'm so worldly in some ways. And then I'm like, oh my God, but I have homogenous, homogenized experiences in a lot of places with homogenized people. Well, people that are very similar to me, not everyone's the same. So I'm very interested to see, hear what people who are different to me have to say. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, I'll link to that in the show notes below. Matt, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Um, And just, yeah, thank you for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I would like to wish you and everyone listening very happy travels. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Wi-Fi Nomads podcast, showing you how to successfully go remote. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. And if you haven't already, head over to wifinomads.com. That's W-I-F-L-Y nomads, N-O-M-A-D-S dot com, where you can learn more about how you can get started working remotely from anywhere in the world by joining one of our upcoming programs. Remember, spots are limited, so be sure to apply soon. Until next time, everyone, safe travels.